Welcome back to another episode of Truth with Ruth. I am hanging out once again with my friend Jacob. Say hi. What up? There you go. I mean, I guess you don't have to say hi. You can say whatever you want. I told myself earlier today I wouldn't say what up, but I just did it again. You just did it. That's fine. <laughs> if that's your, um, you know, if that's your brand, that's I, what my kids would say. That's my brand. What up, yo? <laughs> that could be your brand. <laughs> We're just chatting again today, and I don't even know what what are. Like, I don't even know what I would call this podcast. Like, I feel, you guys wait. You're in for, some of you might feel like a treat. Others may not feel that way. But it is honest <laughs> conversation. It's just questions, right? So you start, when you start to, when you start to pursue God in in different ways in your life, you start to ask questions. Mm-hmm. And those questions lead to I don't know, always answers, but they lead to something. So then they lead to podcasts where we sit and ask them to one another and process through them. So I don't know, what would you call, what would you say we're talking about today? Perhaps profession versus anointing. Oh, that's, that is good. I like that profession versus anointing. That's good. That's a little good tagline. So when I, when people are like, what is this podcast about? I'm like, hmm, well, kind of that. Yeah. Yeah. Put them um, in the ring together and see how they come out. This has been this has been sitting around for a while because this I think you emailed me this before Christmas. Mm-hmm. It's been about a month. It's been about a month, and then now we're just getting to it because I guess it's the right time. I mean, it's twenty twenty one. It's a new year, new season, new questions. Mm-hmm. Yep, new year, new me. Um, I mean, I can let you take the helm on this one and just pop in. I'm just reading the questions while I'm sitting here. Like, <laughs> where do you even start? Like, I mean, when I was first talk about your process and how God dropped this in you. And okay. like, let's start with that. That What was the process for you to, to get all of this and start mulling it around in your brain and then throw it out and say, Hey, can you think you want to talk about this? I'm like, yeah, sounds good to me. So what was the process? So I'd say this, this one has been, I've been pondering this for, man, a really long time since I graduated Bible college. So maybe 14 years. Wow. Right. I started Bible college. So maybe 14 years. Um, so I went to Bible college and I grew up in the church and there were certain things, certain questions that the more I studied the scripture, the more I read books, the more I looked at all this stuff, I started to look at things and go, I'm not quite sure that's what that means. And we, you know, we, we have a standard set of answers and doctrines and ideas that a lot of them are unquestionable. They are what they are. Truth is truth. It's the reality. But then there are certain things that we uh, we kind of shoehorn into place. And one of the ones that was hard for me to, to put together was the way that Jesus describes the 
the functioning of his of his um, disciples. How he says, "The greatest among you shall be the servant of all." The rulers of the Gentiles lord it over those lord, lord their authority over those who are under them, but it won't be so among you. All right, that's such a like to me. That's whenever Jesus says, "You've heard it said, but now I say," or it won't be so among you. There's a a moment where it's like you have to really pay attention to that, and so it's like an alarm going off in my head. The more I pursued getting a degree in ministry and pursuing ministry, the the harder it was for me to look at the way that Jesus did things and said things and go, yes, getting paid to be a pastor and then calling myself the servant of all because I'm then sitting in the seat of the greatest. It's hard for me to unify those two things. They seemed very contrary to me. I've been mulling mulling it over for a long time and that eventually led me away from a career in professional ministry, if I'm being um, extremely candid. And it led me to uh, to pursue the Lord in a different way. I've read a lot of books since then. Bullcrapped my way through Bible college most of the way, <laughs> uh, you know. Um, if I'm honest, I have the gift of winging it. And so I wrote my best papers, you know, <laughs> at like 3 a.m., wrote my thesis in a week, got oh an A on it. Gosh. Drives my wife crazy. Because um, she, she's a planner, she's very much she she's she's legit. I be I be asked my way, and so the Lord has a sense of humor to where He now is making me read the books and do the studying and do all that stuff now. But I have a passion for it, and so one of the books that I have recently read um, is a book by this guy named T. Austin Sparks. He's um, he's an old theologian, and he wrote a book called Prophetic Ministry, and it really caught my attention. Reading it, reading it, reading it. Really cool book, and he he talks about how you know no academy can make you a prophet, no academy can make you that. And he said, though Samuel instituted the school of the prophets, that um, it was mostly for historical and religious knowledge. It was to keep track, like the chronicles and the kings and the books of Samuel. That was that those were written like first and second Samuel were written by him. So that way we could have an account of what was happening during his time. So it wasn't just that he gave the word of the Lord, but he chronicled the way the Lord moved in Israel and the way Israel moved and did things. Cool. He institutes this school of the prophets, and it was focused on religious um, knowledge and dissemination of that knowledge. And what happens later is that as these other prophets rise up after Samuel passes and the other, his other prophets come, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, all the false prophets that they had to deal with came from the school of the prophets because they were trained in something, but they were not, weren't necessarily anointed to be prophets. They were trained to chronicle the word of the Lord, but they weren't necessarily the ones getting the word of the Lord, which is why you see such a contrast between (laughs) Isaiah, Jeremiah, any of the prophets and what they were saying. You always see them saying the opposite. And so you just go, wow, okay, that's crazy. And so I'm reading this book and like mind blowing everywhere. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, And so it gets me thinking, you know, about how when we, when we go through schooling or we tell people, you know, you want to go into the ministry, you want to go into the Bible and do this or that or whatever. 
we always look at it as you have to go to a four-year school or something similar, yeah. right? Whether it's a an internship that will lead you to a position, <laughs> right? They have accredited internships now. Yeah. Um, the whole goal is you need to learn how to do the job of ministry. When you look at <laughs> when you look at these prophets, when you look at the judges, when you look at all these Old Testament figures, even the apostles. Yeah. They were chosen by the Lord specifically. They didn't go before a board, they didn't write papers, they didn't <laughs> they didn't do 4 years of training and then go, "All right, cool. Now you're an apostle or now you're a disciple, now you're a prophet, now you're a judge, now you're a this, now you're a that." Yeah. They didn't do that. They the Lord comes to Jeremiah and says, before you were born in your mother's womb, I anointed you a prophet to the nations. Who gave Jeremiah that word? The, the Lord, Lord did. So as a kid, he's getting a word. <laughs> You're a prophet to the nations. He didn't go before some council or anything like that. He didn't get a degree. He didn't have a degree. So why do we, why do you feel like we're looking for someone else? Because I've heard it said, I mean, many times from many different reputable people, like someone has to give you the office of a prophet or someone has to, like, there's a lot of people who are prophetic or prophesy. We're all called to prophesy. We're all called to mm -hmm. do those things. But like, you know, the office of a prophet, it's different. It, like who anointed you with the office of a prophet or who anointed you as an apostle? Mm -hmm. Like why, what? Where did we go from the word of the, Jeremiah heard the word of the Lord and the Lord said, you are a prophet to the nations to now I need a human to anoint me and tell me, is that biblical? I don't see it in any of the, um, other than Kings being anointed. Okay. They were always anointed by prophets. <laughs> Funny enough. You don't see men choosing prophets. You don't see, you see Samuel hearing the voice of the Lord when he's a kid. Uh -huh. You see Jeremiah being chosen. You see Amos, who was a shepherd. He was a tree shepherd. That's what it talks about, the shepherd of Tekoa, right? Amos comes out of nowhere. Nobody knows who this guy is. He comes out of nowhere, and he gives these crazy prophetic words. You don't see anybody going, you're a prophet, because you went through school. In fact, the ones who did ended up being false prophets <laughs> because they thought it was credential that made them so. And see if, and for me, if men give you the authority to be a prophet, then men have the authority to take it away. Oh my goodness. That's a breach. Right. And that's just the way it is because we're not, it's not my calling to deem someone something. Right. It's my calling to recognize it. Yes. That's my calling. Right. So what I asked the Lord, and I learned this from um, from Graham Cooks. So I don't want to take any credit for it. What the question I ask whenever I'm dealing with someone, I ask the Lord, "How are they known in heaven? How how are they known in heaven? How do you see them?" And I love it because in, in the story of Gideon, as a judge, the angel of the Lord comes to him in a wine press, cowering, right, and he says, "Hail, mighty man of valor! <laughs> the Lord is with you, mighty warrior." Gideon did was not even close to that, but he, that's how he was known in heaven. And so he came and he recognized who Gideon was and then Gideon became it, but it was the Lord. None yeah. of his, no, no man recognized it. David wasn't even invited. 
right? <laughs> David's a shepherd boy. Samuel goes, I'm going to anoint the king. Okay, cool. It's house of Jesse. All right, sweet. Bring me all your sons. Okay, cool. Goes through. The Lord says, I've rejected all these guys. He looks at Jesse. Do you have any more sons? Well, we have the shepherd, the boy, the youngest out tending the sheep. He goes, dude, I said all your sons. <laughs> you can tell Samuel's pissed because he goes, dude, we're not even going to sit down until he gets here. You're wasting my time not bringing all your sons. But he wasn't even considered. And yet he was the one who was anointed. Yeah. Right? And so we've gone from looking to things the way the Lord looks at them. And we've gone from <laughs> the biblical model to then going to the man-made model, which is jealousy, fear, select seats at the table that only few people can sit in. And because we want to keep those seats, we, ju- we create all these hoops for our successors to jump through to where they're never going to get really ever get to that place until we die or we retire yeah. because we need to keep our seat. That's not the biblical model. The biblical model is there's a massive table, a massive amount of giftings, a massive amount of anointings. And God does it. He doesn't ask us, hey, uh, what do you think about this guy? Do you think he's a prophet? Do you think, he, do you think she's an apostle? What do you think? Because I'm not going to anoint them until you decide that they are. Because, you know, if they go through, they didn't really do their, that well in Bible college. You know, they have been kind of wishy-washy in their, in their, you know, church attendance. What do you think? Do you think they're prophet material? Right? Do you think they're apostolic material? <laughs> right? And he, he doesn't work like that. Right? And the, but that's how we work. I don't understand why. I think that's what confuses me. I'm like, I hear everything you're saying, and I agree. And I think I was telling you while we were processing through, I'm like, I mean, it's hard for, it's even hard for me to, st- it's not hard for me to stomach in the natural because I'm not married to, obviously, you know, I'm not married to the way that we've always done church. And so that's that God delivered me from that years ago. So I've got that on my side. I don't know why it's still hard for me because I guess because I've come to love people in, I love the, I love a good preach. Mm -hmm. I love all of the, I don't want to go to their church and sit through it, but I love listening to it while I'm walking or Mm -hmm. I love the alternative way I get to hear information, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, and I guess that doesn't have to happen because you're the pastor of a church or you you have a platform. Um, I mean, it definitely makes it easy for me to find what mm-hmm. I like is people's platforms. But is I, I know one of the questions we had in there. So is itinerant ministry then wrong? Like is like I'm not I, like I tell people all the time. Find out what you're passionate about, and if God gives you a way to monetize it, go monetize it. Right. Like, I'm all for that. Like, be creative. Like, figure out what your your passion is and your desire is. And if God gives you a creative way to monetize that, go monetize that. Or do you think that itinerant ministry is different than our structured church embodiment that we have as in a, a shrine in America? I um I don't even know if I I don't even know if that's the path we need to go down yet. I just was thinking about it while you were talking. Mm-hmm. We were talking about anointing and giftings and we're talking about what was how did you pose the question when we first started? 
anointed anointing versus profession, pr- versus, profession anointing. versus anointing like can your profession and anointing go hand in hand and if we're mm-hmm. saying that god anoints and not man because what man anoints man can also take away can your profession and anointing go hand in hand see i think that that's a um the easiest way to mess things up is to muddy the water and it, it makes it impossible to get clarity because the water and the mud mix. Mm-hmm. All right. So how do you sift out the mud? It's hard. All right. And so I think that you can answer yes to that question, but I also think that you can answer no. And the only reason why is because you have to define those terms. You have to define what you mean because we, what we like to do is we like to paint with broad brushes to justify our error and what we're doing. So we like to point to instances in church history and, and use terms that were common then and say, look, this is what we're actually doing right now. That's what this is. We take this ambiguous scripture and go see that's what it means. Like my, one of my favorite ones (laughs) is the, and I'll say this very straightforward, the erroneous doctrine of the first among equals. What does that even mean? So it, so this is one that is very common in hierarchical structure of church where they want to say that everybody's on equal footing, but one man has the trump card, gotcha. the first among equals. The problem is, is that if somebody has more authority and power than the other, then you're not equal. Yeah. If you have something more or something less, it's not equal. And so they use the phrase, they use the the council of Jerusalem where they're trying to figure out what to do with the Gentiles where Paul and Barnabas come back and go, this is what we've been doing. And they go, whoa, and they're trying to figure it out. And James, or if you like the Hebrew translation, Jacob, the half-brother of Jesus, stands up and he says, this is what they're saying is good. This is what we should do. And they all agree with him. They say, see, look, James was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. That's why he stood up and said that and had the final say. And that's why everybody listened to him because he was really the first among equals. That's not it at all. That's such, that's, there's so much eisegesis or they, they put so much of what we experience today onto that scripture to make what they're doing normal. This is why that dude that's that's a big stretch for me yeah because that's not who james was yeah that that's not the way it was it was a council so everybody sitting there trying to decide what was going on was speaking and and making the decision together if they didn't agree with james that wasn't what they were going to do the first among equals puts one person at the top just a it may be slightly elevated but still elevated you still have the final say and it's generally the person who owns the 501c3 or is sitting in the pastor's oh, chair. Oh, I know. Do you know how many people have tried to do that to us? Right. I mean, because we own the 501c3, technically. I mean, mm-hmm. Orion and myself. And it's a really hard um, transition to get people's mindset from, well, you're the, you're the head. This is you're the authority over this ministry versus we are the authority over this ministry and i mean we try and you know you're part of our community so you know you hear 
us talk about how, yes, we have made certain sacrifices based off of what God has shown us. And not everybody sees the same thing at first, Mm -hmm. but you know, in a different podcast, we talked about the false sense of honor, our false sense of honor gets hard at work trying to make sure we're honoring you for your sacrifice above everybody else. Mm -hmm. But it's like, I just made this sacrifice and because it looks different than maybe the sacrifice that you and Courtney can make, we don't consider it equal sacrifice, Mm -hmm. but it is equal because we're not the same person. We don't have the same calling on our life. We may be called to the same community of believers to build and grow something and foster something together, but we're not the same person. So Mm -hmm. I can't even look at the sacrifices you guys are making and go, well, that's not equal to ours. It's just different. It's equal in the sense that we're two different people making sacrifices that are unique to our family structure and our environment that makes all of our sacrifices equal. Right. You know, and so we fight with that all the time, even in what we do. Well, you guys are the ones with the final say. And Mm -hmm. it's like, I mean, could I be? Sure. But do I value the group as a whole? Do I have a picture of what? where I know God is sending us that maybe everybody doesn't have. So I will take in the opinions and then I will, I will share the vision and, and tell you, this is what I'm seeing in the long run because not everybody is built to see beyond today. Some people are only built to see this hour, Mm -hmm. but I'm built and I'm looking five, 10 years from now. So when I'm saying something that the group may not all be like on board with, I go back and I give a different picture of the vision so that we can see this is why I'm saying what I'm saying. Not so that I can have the final say, but so that we all understand the vision moving forward. So I know I have people, we do, we have people are like, you, you're the mom and dad of this house. And yes, in that sense, we are the mother and the father. But if our goal is to raise up other mothers and fathers, then we're not going to be the only mothers and fathers of this house. Mm-hmm. It might be the ones that pay the mortgage on it, right. <laughs> but I'm giving authority to other people in my home because I recognize that that is how the body goes from a, uh, a vertical position to like a horizontal position. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, well, yeah. that's, that's the hard part is that what, what that does is it, it automatically creates a top-down expectation. Right. I can't live up to that. Mm-hmm. I learned a long time ago building a direct sales company. Like, I can't. That's a lot of weight on my shoulders, and it gives me a lot of anxiety. And, like, it gives me a lot of room to be criticized for error. But, man, if you share the burden as a group, then when one fails, y'all fail together. Mm -hmm. And we're failing as a group or we're succeeding as a group. And it's pretty awesome Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you don't go down alone. (laughs) Well, and when you you consider other people's perspective, you get the full picture. Totally. We're meant for that. Mm -hmm. And so when you have a top-down mentality, like, again, Frank Viola is one of the guys that I read a lot of. Um, yeah, I know. And one of his books that has really, again, little phrases stick with me. He said, form facilitates function. Mm. All right. And so when you have someone who is elevated on a platform, because even, even first among equals, slightly eleve, slight elevation is still a platform. It's yeah. still a prop up. You look to them automatically because they're taller than you. They're higher than you. That's why, that's why they wanted 
Saul because he was head and shoulders above everyone else. He looked like a king. And so they, he was easy to look to. We look at it and we go, whoever the one is who makes the decisions, who has the final say, we will instinctively look to. Which is why most churches look to the owner, pastor, whatever you want to call it, rather than Jesus. Because that person is sitting in the elevated seat rather than Jesus. And so, first among equals puts someone higher than the Lord. Because at the head table, you're not in the head seat. Jesus is. I mean, he's among the people. Right. But when we pursue professionalism, right, I I wrote this down. When we pursue vocationalism or professionalism, it creates expectation. And expectation demands consistent production. What we end up doing is we end up creating these systems that then give that person, yeah, they have the pressure of coming up with all these things to say. And people love it. Like you were saying earlier, like you love the different ways that information is disseminated and learning those things. But we claim there are 52 life-changing messages in a year, but nobody's life has changed. Nobody's life is getting changed. Well, I mean, that's a broad statement. I'm sure some people's lives are getting changed, but I would say, yep. Based based off of what I viewed last year, yes, we have a long way to go. For how much information information that we have, we have a long way to go. Exactly. And (laughs) that's the difficulty with, in my opinion, with focusing solely on the professional aspect of ministry and that making you the giving you the elevated seat. Then also, I think there's an issue with putting people who have anointing only in those elevated seats because the way it should be is there's no elevated seat, right? Everybody's equal, right? The round table with King Arthur. Yeah. Everybody's equal. The problem becomes is that when we pay somebody to do something for us, then we automatically put the burden on them. We don't expect us to have anything to contribute. We don't expect us to do anything. We just go, you're the professional. I'm paying you. Give me what I need. And we assume then, because they're the paid professional, they have the anointing. And what's made it so difficult, especially in Western church, I mean, it's been it's been this way since Constantine. Um, if you want to find out more about that, read Pagan Christianity by Frank Viola. <laughs> Uh, it's been that way for for a thousand a couple thousand years right what's what's been so clever because the enemy decided if i can't beat him i'm going to join him right and what's been so and again not praising him but it's it, it has been very deviously clever is he's mixed the two of professionalism and anointing and to where we have people who are saying things like if you challenge something that a pastor says or a leader says, they use the phrase, don't touch God's anointed. Oh, I've heard that so many times. Yeah, you can't touch God's anointed. Right. You can't do that. And I'm thinking, well, God's anointed just cursed me. So what do I do with that? Right. Like, how do I process that? I'm not saying that God's still not anointing them because the gifts are without repentance, Mm -hmm. period. But like, how do you reconcile God's anointed calling you nasty names. Mm-hmm. I mean, are you not allowed to process that with people and talk through it and work it out and like figure out like, what do I, where do I go from here? I mean, is right. it can still be God's anointed, but it's not something I'm going to put myself under. Mm-hmm. Well, I look at it, someone acting 
like he says, he says, my gifts are without repentance, mm-hmm. right? The gifts of God are without repentance, but it's a gift. It's not who you are. Correct. And so it's an operation, right? The office of a prophet is an operation. It's a specific function. And when you look at it as a function that is necessary for the whole, then you don't elevate the function more than you elevate the others because each function is necessary, right? Both functions are necessary. What you eat and what you dispel, both are necessary, right? So you you can't really elevate either one above the other. If you don't eat, you'll go hungry. If you don't go to the restroom, you'll get sepsis, right? And so you need both. When we elevate one over the other, or we elevate our giftings and say, this is what makes me something, we dishonor the giver and we dishonor the gifts that have been given to our brothers and sisters. And we make it say, oh, well, now I'm more important because I have this gifting, but that doesn't define you. It's just part of, it's part of what you do, part of your role. When I look at anointings of people on people who are making wrong choices, I'm immediately brought back to the story of Balaam. Balaam gets a bad rap. If you don't know Balaam, Balaam's the story, Balaam's the prophet who had the talking donkey. And I was very, the Lord started talking to me one day about Balaam's error that's mentioned in Jude. Jude mentions Balaam's error. And I was reading the story. I'm like, Lord, what is Balaam's error? Because when you read the story, uh, I think it's the king of Assyria or one of those guys, one of those, one of those bad kings. So, you know, forgive me if I misquote the actual one for all of you Bible <laughs> scholars listening. Uh, the king of Assyria goes to Balaam and says, look, man, I'm going to pay you to prophesy against Israel because I, I want, I want to have victory. And Balaam goes, let me go talk to the Lord about that. And he goes, Lord, Lord says, dude, no. <laughs> right. And so Balaam, you know, says no a few times, a couple times. But then finally the Lord says, all right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go with him and do this. Right. And so I was like, man, and it says, and it says the anger of the Lord burned against Balaam. I'm like what? He asked you every time. And he says, my issue is not the fact that he came and asked me. That was wise of him to do so. The issue was he had the audacity to believe that I would even consider cursing my people. That was Balaam's error. And he's like, what led him to have the audacity to do that? Money. The king was going to pay Balaam to prophesy against the people. Balaam, in his wisdom, was like, no, I'm not going to go do that. Wow. Right? But that's what caused Balaam to even bring it the matter before the Lord. And so he said, Balaam was a true prophet. Balaam prophesied. And when <laughs> every time he went to prophesy against the children of Israel, he blessed them because he was a true prophet. Mm. It wasn't that Balaam was a false prophet. Balaam was a true prophet who fell into error because he was focused on money. He was willing to prophesy to the crowd for money. Right? Do what the king of Assyria wanted him to do. Use his prophetic gift against the Lord for money. We can still be anointed and use our, use our giftings incorrectly. And you can see that in the New Testament when it says, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Right? You can prophesy negatively. You can prophesy certain things. Right? Who are you partnering with? Probably not the <laughs> Lord. <right? laughs> but... Um, but you can still do that. Yeah. Just like you can use any, any gifting and function negatively. I mean, I was in a church that prophesied negatively, negatively for 10 years. Mm -hmm. Like I never heard, I never knew prophecy could actually be positive. Mm -hmm. Legit. I was like, well, that's, 
but that's their that was their viewpoint of God, was that He was coming to smite the earth. <laughs> oh, man, love that. <laughs> I just didn't know. I mean, until I learned different, for sure. Like, I didn't know. Um, I know that we have. I. What's interesting about uh, mon- like so I am hearing everything that you're saying, and I know for us uh, with what we do. I was talking to, we did this encounter night here a couple, well, year and a half or so ago. And we had a couple uh, ministers come through, super rad, great guys, awesome. And listening to people's stories and listening to, and they're, they're itinerant ministers. They, they, they go and do whatever, um, wherever, whatever. I don't know. I just know they can't, we opened our home for them here. And it was funny because, you know, one of the things was, well, they're like, we want to bless, bless you monetarily. I'm like, it doesn't matter. I love, and listen, I pray for millions of dollars to be poured into our 501c3 for a buy (laughs) because I feel like we want to take care of our community, period. Like that's what we want to do is we want to use that money to take care of better our communities and make sure that, you know, whoever we're ministering with has what they need to do what God's called him to do. So I'm always praying for that. But Orion and I, our 501c3 does not pay us. Mm -hmm. So we, and what was funny is when we set all of this up four years ago now, we sat down with everything and we're just like, we don't ever want to have to be in a position to where we take a paycheck from. And it wasn't because I read any books or I, the Bible told me so. I just, I think it's funny knowing you because a lot of the the information and I feel like the scholarly way that you say things, I'm like, I just feel like I'm doing those things and I don't know why. And then you <laughs> tell me and I'm like, oh, so I do hear from God because it's, I mean, I'm just doing it. And I said that to the, the one of these ministers. It was funny because, you know, he was talking to me about taking a paycheck and I said, yeah. I said, I don't feel like that's God's will for us with this ministry. We never want to be dependent on abide for money. We want to be able to always take that and use it in our community um, and bless people with it that are partnering with us. So I said, we don't, I said, we just pray honestly for God to give Orion million dollar contracts because he's a builder. Mm-hmm. So we pray for the business that God has built with us to like flourish and make us a lot of money. And this person said to me, they're like, well, you know, that's not biblical. It's biblical for you to take a paycheck. You're actually in sin if you don't take a paycheck from your ministry. And wow. I was like, well, I said, well, and then he gave me this story and whatever God said to him and showed him. And I just said, well, that's good for you. I said, I don't feel like that's for me. I'm like, we'll have to agree to disagree. I'm a pretty strong person. So I didn't feel like, (laughs) I just felt like if that's your conviction, I'm not going to argue with you about it. It's not worth my time. But like, I don't think that that's biblical. (laughs) I'm like, I don't know that I've ever read in the Bible where, um, you know, it was my job to make my 501c3 pay me. Right. For what I was doing. Uh, It was just really fascinating to me because that's the mentality, though, of not everybody, obviously, but that is a mentality out there that, like, you're in sin if you're not taking a paycheck from, even if it's a dollar, Ruth, even Mm. if it's only a dollar. And I was like, God will flourish your ministry 
if you do that. Right. I was like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I, I mean, uh-huh. I just, I think I just said, okay, uh-huh. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming here. I'm glad we could bless <laughs> you. Like, come back anytime. I would still have them back. Like, yeah. listen, God still, just because our theological ideas are different doesn't mean, like, I don't see what God's doing with you. Right. I just don't have to partner with everything you believe. Right. Period. Mm. This is what it is. Yeah. It's called unity of the brethren. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> well, one of the things I heard um, one of my Bible college teachers say was, error is not the unforgivable sin. Error is not the, un what's the unforgivable sin? Well, grieving the Holy Spirit. Oh. Right, that's the well, one. That's what the Bible says, but okay. error is not is not the unforgivable sin, right? So Do you, you can, think the way that we've, we're doing ministry in the 21st century grieves the Holy Spirit? I mean, that's this is totally opinion-based. We're not going off any, like... I wouldn't say it's the unforgivable sin, but I would say, yes, that things are not the way he intends them to be. And be, we mistake his patience for his agreement. Ooh, that's really interesting. And there are a lot of people in their lives, they mistake the Lord's patience and his loving kindness for his agreement with what they're doing. I be feel like we're walking out of a season of patience into one where... I'm done being patient with you. Yeah, he, there, there's always a dispensation of time that he gives us to get on board. And that's that's how good he is. He's, you know, slow to anger. But there's a dispensation of time. And to kind of bring it around full circle, when you were talking, I was uh, thinking about itinerant preachers. Mm -hmm. And how, and the, what you guys, what they said about not taking a paycheck as being in sin. What God is, what's fascinating is, God is moving us forward, but he's also moving us back at the same time. And what I love about the scripture is he's bringing us back to the very first time in Genesis, right? Jesus was not the second Jacob. He was not the second Isaac. He was not the second Abraham. It says he is the second Adam. He's creating a new race, right? A new race of humanity, the second Adam, so then you look at it, you can go, okay, it's an inauguration of a new creation like in Genesis, not like in Israel. Israel was something that happened throughout history. Yeah. But that wasn't the focus, right? The focus was that man and woman would walk with God in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden, which is means delight. That was God's intention, was that man would subdue the earth, right? He'd have dominion over the earth with the Lord, partnership. Cool. So he's always bringing us back. He's not moving us forward. Like time's marching on and we're going towards towards the day of the Lord when everything, you know, the world ends and all that stuff, uh, all the eschatology, which I don't usually get into. Um, and I won't hear either. Um, it's just a div division tool. That's all it is. It's a, it's a tool used for division by the end. Correct. I agree with um, you. But he's bringing us back to his original intention, which was to ha to extend his family. Right, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let's extend. Let's extend our family. Let's make man in our image. Cool. And so, when we look at the New Testament church, we see God starting that new race, that the race of the second son, sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. Right, the, the second Adam. What we see there is we see these very interesting characters. Right, ones that always stick out to me are Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila. And guys like Luke, who were, they traveled, Barnabas, Silas, they traveled around a lot. They were primordial, for 
for lack of a better term, that's probably a dumb word, dumb word to use, but they were the very first um, itinerant preachers yeah. in that way. What you see Paul say a lot, and Priscilla and Aquila, they were all leather workers. They, they translated as tent makers, but they were leather workers. Just like Jesus wasn't a carpenter, he was a construction worker. The Greek word literally translated as mason. So he worked with wood and stone. And so Jesus was probably ripped because he was a construction worker. <laughs> um, so when you see those t-shirts, the Lord's gym where he's all beefed out on the cross, it's probably true. Uh, <laughs> um, but he had calloused hands and all that stuff. He was a construction worker. Um, Priscilla, Aquila, and Paul were tent makers, leather workers. And you see in one of Paul's epistles where he says, you know, I worked with my own hands so I wouldn't be a burden to you. Most guys quote, use that as, see, that's why I should get paid. But you have to think about context is king. You have to put it in the context of the first century, not the way we're living today. Right. And in the first century, it was a very risky thing to travel around from town to town because you were not guaranteed work. You may not even speak the same language as most of the people in that town. So what did you do? They went and they got people saved and then they went and they stayed in their homes because it was having owning your own property was very rare. Like it was, it was a very different time. And so when you would have someone come and stay with you and teach you for a year, he was staying with someone who was with believers in the town. And so he would work among them doing the gospel. And so they would feed him and they would house him. Yeah. It wasn't, they would give him a paycheck because he would preach a sermon every Sunday and have the 501c3 in his name, right? That's not the way it worked, right? But Paul, Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila all went a step further and they said, look, we're going to run our own leather making business because it's one we can do across the board. And we're going to make sure that we don't become a burden to you. That was his mentality as an itinerant apostle, right? The idea that... <laughs> You should get a paycheck because you're a pastor is actually foreign to the scriptures. Whereas doing what you guys do where you have your own business and you use it to so that you're not a burden to yeah. the people who come here is biblical. Well, plus I also believe like we're really in the 21st century, very hip and keen on getting people to sow into the vision God gave us. Mm -hmm. uh, we used to say this a lot. This was before you and Courtney were around. Like we didn't take an offering. We didn't do anything really. We just, we just were being obedient to the vision God gave us in our heart and we funded all of it, mm -hmm. um, which is fine. I don't, God get, God provides, he takes care of it. It's all good. And part of that was, I believe that we're, it's, I use, you know, I've been in church for a long time. We should be sowing into, sowing seed into that person and their gifting and we want this deposited into us. And, and if we want, and people can shred me for whatever, like I know you've, there's people that have done research and come up with their own theology around why we should give this amount of money and that amount of money, do all these things. And that's fine and dandy. But I also believe like God is looking for me to steward what he put in my heart. He didn't put abide in your heart. He didn't put it in my neighbor's heart. 
He put it in my heart. And so if I'm not willing to invest my resources into the thing that God gave me in my heart, and I'm looking for other people to first invest before I'm obedient to what God has given me, then I don't know why God would move it forward. Right. Because I'm actually saying, God gave me this, so now can everybody come partner with me so that I can make it happen? Mm-hmm. Instead of believing that the one who gave it to me is going to make it happen and he's going to resource it through us as well too. So I used to say that. I'm like, yeah, because I used to I wanted people to know like we really believe in what we're doing. Like we believe God is going to give us the resources and he's going like I can't ask you guys to invest in this if I haven't first mm-hmm. invested made my own investment. Time, money, home, everything. Like I want you to know like I believe in what God's doing so that my belief spills over and you're, you now catch it like, Oh, I catch it. And resource is subjective. Like for one person, money might not be the resource they invest. It might be time. It might be talent. It Mm -hmm. might be gifting. It might be all those things. And so to get caught up in the monetary side of resource, yeah, we need that. It's the world. That's how our world works. Mm -hmm. But, um, I know for us, it was more like, I want, God's like, I need you to first believe in what I've put in your heart before you can actually ask someone else to believe it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was kind of where we sat with all of that. Um, I don't know. I I just think we've taken God and put him back in a structure. Mm-hmm. And then now we have to resource that structure. Yes. Instead of like, and, and I was even thinking, and I don't even know if this really has anything to do with what we're talking. I think it does, but like, I was thinking about how we have leadership and we have all of these rules and regulation to monitor what happens in our quote unquote churches, our buildings, whatever you want to call it, so that things can run smoothly and orderly and people don't get offended. And I started thinking as we're talking, you know, like about all this, I'm like, huh, I wonder if the reason you don't hear a lot of that talked about in the Bible is because they weren't meeting on a weekly basis with tens of thousands of people. They were meeting with tens and twenties of people on a weekly basis. So to you, you built that connection and you built that, um, honor and love and respect. So you didn't have to correct everybody as much. And you didn't have to make sure that that person was prophesying wrong. And this one was touching this one inappropriately. And that one was doing all these things because you weren't in a group that facilitated that kind of dysfunction. And now we've, 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 taken the job of Christianity and made it a business and called it ministry in a church and then given everybody titles and authority created a level of unequalism. Like we're not equal. When I go into someone else's church, I don't have equal authority that the pastor has there. I'm subject to them, Mm -hmm. what they want, their desires, their vision for that building, for that place, for that people, for the, their community and I, if I don't come under the authority of that, then I probably am going to be asked to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, but my opinion is not welcome in that place unless they feel like they can trust me. But I feel like in the first century church, they didn't have those issues because, I mean, I have 20 people in my house that we're ministering together and we know each other. We're doing life. We're co-laboring. We're growing in our giftings. We're calling things out in each other. So I don't trust is a non-issue. Mm. I already trust you. Right. 
So I don't know. I was just thinking about all that. I'm like thinking about all the dysfunction that the business of ministry has created. Then we've created businesses for that dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. And like, it's a real big ecosystem. Yeah. I'm like, the therapy we have to go through, we're mm-hmm. paying therapists now for the dysfunction of our paid profession in ministry. Like we're, we have panic attacks and we have anxiety. So now we're paying doctors to help us manage our anxiety. Mm-hmm. Like, man, it's like this big cog that just never ends mm-hmm. of wealth. And I'm not getting wealthy from it. I'm actually the one using my insurance right. to help me manage. Exactly. I mean, you don't see, you don't see the new test. I mean, you see Paul and the boys talking about all the, oh man, all the ish they went through. You know, but you see them being joyful, being filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't see them going, man, ministry is a really lonely, stressful road. Or I just have all this weight on me where I'm constantly, like pastors going to, you know, therapists and like what you're saying, going, you know, going through counseling and, you know, being depressed and all these things like that. You don't see that. Right. Because there wasn't the pressure of political or a professional ministry. They weren't like you stress out over your job. If your job is not doing well, right. You stress out over what you have to produce in your own strength when you're working your job. When you have a home and you invite other believers into your home to pursue the Lord and to celebrate the Lord as the church, and then manifest the kingdom of God together in your community. Not only are you not alone, <laughs> but the weight of whatever comes against you is shared. Right. When you have a top-down hierarchical business, the CEO is the most stressed person in yeah. the business. And so if we've modeled our church after the world after worldly systems of business, then the higher up you are, the more requirement there is and the more stress there is because everything is based on you, right? There's one, one thing that's true is that when you have a business and you're the guy, it can only go as far as you can, right? Right. And so what's happened in most churches is even if they have thousands of people coming, that church, that ministry will only stretch as far as the Lord allows it to stretch based on that person's capacity and their own strength. Yeah. They become the lid, right? One of the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership, which, you know, when you go through it, they're all pretty refutable, um, (laughs) is um, the law of the lid is the first one, is that you, like, the leader limits the people. Yeah. I disagree. (laughs) The leaders that I sat under did not limit the Holy Spirit speaking to me did not limit what God could do through me. They may limit what I'm able to do in the church service context, yes. but they don't, they can't, they, I am not limited by their maturity or immaturity. Yeah. I'm not limited by it. I, I pursued the Lord in ways despite it. So it's not true, but in the church context, in the church service context, what they are actually in charge of. Yes, they are the limit. They are the lid. So when you take man and put him in the place of God, there's automatically a limit. But when you remove that person from that elevated seat and the Lord is the one sitting there, then 
the sky's the limit because he's limitless. The Lord is limitless. And so there's not the pressure of having to be the one who figures everything out. And some people like it. Some people want to be in that position. They thrive off of it. Their ego drives them, right? Diotrephes, who loves to be first, right? It's in John, um, second or third John. Um, they love being the one in charge, and that's cool, but it's not the way the Bible talks about the church. They love getting paid, and that's cool. But when you have, when you have this smaller gathering that... I mean, you can be connected to multiple, to hundreds of people in your community. Totally. But meet in separate homes. Totally. And have unity and pursue what the Lord is doing in that community together. It's possible. The early church did it. It's yeah. possible. And they turned the, like, they were literally called those who turned the world upside down. That's what they were called. That's what they were known as in different cities. They go into a city and they go, oh, crap. The men who turned the world upside down have come here too. Yeah, we're not known as that in the 21st century. No. So you just go, <laughs> dude, where's the disconnect? Right? It's what we're focused on. Yeah, we're focused on opening our buildings. ABCs. I know. I, I like, and I, that was something I thought about last year. I'm like, I, I know a lot of itinerant workers probably lost a big chunk of their salary, obviously, last year. I think the ones writing books. So what do you think about that, too, before I go on mm -hmm. another route? Like, because a book is, is, I mean, it's, it's a craft, it's a gift. Like I know mm -hmm. a lot of itinerant ministers who, who write books and that's where their income comes from. Mm -hmm. I mean, is that still muddying the waters or is that sort of like, um, now you're an author. So you have, you have this thing, this craft that you're doing over here. I mean, I think they're still getting paid to speak at places, but I mean, what if I, I'm just throwing things out, mm -hmm. like thinking, like, is that still considered muddying the waters or now am I now an author where I've, I've got this, uh, this thing I'm creating and I'm selling it and it's funding me so that I can go do the work of the ministry. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. I'm just, see, I don't think there's anything wrong with, um, and again, it's a definition of terms. I don't think there's anything wrong with writing books. I don't think there's anything wrong with producing curriculum, with teaching, with doing those things, because I've gleaned a lot from that, and I wouldn't know what I know if... Well, someone else could say I've gleaned a lot from the pastor at my church. And that's true. They very well could have. Um, but for me, it's all about production. What are you actually doing, and why are you doing it? So... Well, I'm doing this because it's the call of God on my life. I have the mantle of a pastor and I'm called to pastor a church. So I'm being obedient to the call of God on my life. It's not something I would ever choose for myself, mm -hmm. but I said yes. Right. And that's, and that's fine. But I'm again, just playing devil's advocate. No, no. And, I, and I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. I always go back to definition of terms because it's what you are thinking of and what God is thinking of. So you can say, oh, well, I'm called to be a pastor. Okay. What does that mean biblically? Because what you're pursuing is what we have defined in the 21st century church as being a pastor. Vocational ministry. Right, which is vocational ministry, which is not what it means. Right. And so you can go, yeah, that's great. God has called you to be a shepherd. But what you're talking about is a professional pastor speaking every Sunday. Right. And that's the, the definition of terms is, to me, the most important thing. It's so important. Because if we don't know what it says and we don't know what those words mean, 
then we eisegete, which is like the biggest no-no in hermeneutics, which is how to interpret the scriptures. We eisegete and we put we insert things into the scripture and say, look, this is what it is, which is what a lot of what our church doctrine is built on. This is what it is, which is why the King's, King James Version has so many mistranslations, like had created words, pastoros, the word pastor is not a word. It's an amalgamation of the Latin word pastoros, which is the, the word for shepherd. That's what it means. Baptizo, right? <laughs> what we get our word baptized from, it's a Latin word, fully immersed. Does it mean baptized? These are, these are, these are Christianese made up words that they didn't want to translate differently because they would get killed because the church was the state then. And they had these traditions and doctrines. So they translated words incorrectly. Granted, it's a slippery slope because if you want to really get, get into it, there are a lot of things that the faint of heart or those who are really hold on to their traditions would go, oh, you're rocking my boat really hard here, man. Like, but those are the realities. And so it's important that we translate and that we have these definition of terms. When you just said it, um, the biggest, the biggest, uh, word is traditions mm-hmm. so that's because i'm thinking like what is keeping us from shifting like what is keeping because pe- i honestly if i'm thinking about it over my years of knowing people who are in vocational ministry and pastors and i i mean maybe some of them love it i very rarely hear someone in vocational ministry say i love my job mm-hmm. Never. Like, it's very rare. I don't hear it very often. I have heard very often, I would never ask for this. I would never want this. I would never seek this out. It's just what God anointed me with. Mm -hmm. Now I'm here. And I'm thinking, man, all of those words make me think, like, I might not want you as my pastor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because there's no joy in it. Because I don't think that it's really what they wanted. Mm-mm. And I think that God, well, I mean, the Bible says God gives us the desires of our heart. Not, he doesn't give us, I desire this home, so he's going to give it to me. Right. He implants the desire in my heart. So he gives me the physical desires of my heart. So I would desire, like I desire to uh, build people. That is like, if you, were to say, Ruth, what's the desire in your heart? God has given me a desire to build people. Mm-hmm. I love it. It brings me joy. It does not bring me joy to be at the top of the platform. It brings me joy to be in the trenches with the people that I'm building and on the journey. That mm-hmm. brings me joy. Like, I don't know that I would ever have joy. People have often said, oh, um, when we first started, when are you going to get a building? When are you going to do this? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, never. Right. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, what? Yeah, if I outgrow my home, then I outgrow my home. People either have to stop coming or do something in their home. I'm like, but I'm not. Like, that would not bring me joy right. to have that on my shoulders and to navigate. And then for me, it would take away, it would take away, um, well, why? what makes me different than anyone else? Mm-hmm. Like, what makes me unique now? Because I'm doing what everybody else does. I'm doing what they expect me to do, not what God has asked me to do. Right. And then my first obedience is to what God has asked me to do, not what other people expect me to do. Mm-hmm. And that has caused um, people to shift away from us or not, you know, 
not necessarily connect with us or, or whatever. And that that's a reality in life when you take a hard stance on mm-hmm. something. But I, I just, and I listen, everybody listening still, I don't know that there's, we're not after solutions for, we're literally just throwing out things to think about mm-hmm. like a question and uh his historical content and um just sort of things to get you thinking about why are we doing things the way that we're doing because i feel like last year we fought a lot and i know i was being the like ah come on in me <laughs> but when god shifted my focus i went why am i actually fighting for that like i don't even believe in it we fought for buildings to open like we are the church don't forsake the gathering of the brethren we we're, like it's biblical we're, we're it's our um, first amendment right to gather and worship religiously and all these things and i'm like the funny thing about that was was that the government didn't take away your right to gather i mean i kind of did but it didn't if you just open your home mm-hmm. it took away your right to open your money maker your business yeah so it took a, that's what it took away mm-hmm. and so as the church, we were left with all this overhead that was costing us a ton of money and probably sunk a lot of churches in America. I would guess that I don't know the statistics you might, but I'm sure a lot of places closed as a result of it. And what was interesting to me the whole time that we're, that we're fighting to open our buildings in the next breath, we're saying God is doing a new thing. Mm-hmm. And so we're, fighting for our tradition, but preaching a new wineskin. And so for me, I'm a very logical person that just didn't make sense after a while. I'm like, well, maybe I'm missing the mark in this. Maybe my, you know, the fighter in me who goes in swinging instead of thinking is swinging when I should be thinking. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, let's think about what we're saying here. And it's like, and not that I think that God is disappointed or, or doesn't love the church or doesn't love the gathering, but nobody said you couldn't gather. Right. It's just, we've taken the creativity out of the word of God and and franchised it mm-hmm. so that it's palpable for the Western world. Because I, I know in other countries, this is very foreign for them to meet the way that we meet and gather the way that we gather. So God is being super creative in third world countries where mm-hmm. the church is persecuted. But in America, he's not being creative at all. Like the creativity is stripped from, from the modern church here. So I just thought it was really interesting that everybody talked about pivoting last year. Nobody pivoted. Right. Like their pivoting was putting everything online. Mm-hmm. And to me, I'm thinking, well, that didn't create anything you wanted it to create. It didn't create connection. It didn't create community. And it didn't um, It didn't help with our need for human interaction. Mm-hmm. It didn't take away the, the issues we were having with mental health. It didn't it didn't. So our, our solution to that was to yell louder so that we would get our buildings open because that would be the solution to mental health issues. And that would be the solution to human interaction. And we, we miss the fact that we are called to take land in a city individually and collectively to meet in a building that I didn't pay for that. I didn't, I didn't, my name is not on the deed of that building. I don't, own the rights to that property 
but I do own the rights to this property. My name is on the deed of this house and I do make payments to it. Therefore, the authority that I yield is present here and people come into and are subject to it and it creates this beautiful thing because there's this community that comes out of here that knows how to love, honor, and respect one another. And then they go back into their homes and their workplaces and they take that with them. So I felt like, man, maybe we're missing this. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't gather for trainings and equippings mm -hmm. and things like that, but those are trainings and equippings and um, classes so that we can go back into our communities and feel uh, armed with information that we need. Right. Um, we, which we talked about that too. Like we could have equipping centers where we're being taught things we don't know or maybe techniques or um, structures that will help us with our communities that we're sewing into. But yeah, I, I felt like we kind of missed it fighting to open buildings instead of fighting to become the building. Mm -hmm. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, I mean, tradition is a very powerful, um, powerful, yeah, powerful thing. And, you know, Jesus said, to the, the Pharisees of his day who loved tradition. They said, you're like your father. He said, you're like your fathers where they killed the prophets then they built statues in their honor, right? Yeah. It's because they hung on to their traditions. The prophets flew in the face of their tradition. And it's not just prophets. It's anybody who is pursuing the kingdom of God flies in the face of tradition. You don't need to, you don't need to try to be controversial. Jesus didn't try to be. He was just by who he was. Yeah. All right. If you pursue the kingdom, you like people get offended with you. It doesn't matter. You can say what you, you don't need to be offensive in what you say. I know people get offended <laughs> with you because it challenges the status quo. Uh huh. Right. And that is, it challenges what we've, what has been built by man. That's why they killed the prophets because it challenged what they had built. Right. They added, they added hundreds of, of little rules and regulations to the law and called it the Talmud, right? It wasn't the Torah, it was the Talmud. And every time they went into captivity, they added more crap until they had these crazy man-made doctrines and traditions that they didn't keep themselves, but they honored and valued them. And they fought tooth and toenail to the point of killing the king of glory, right, on a cross to hold on to them. Tradition's powerful, especially if it's a lucrative tradition and you're the beneficiary. And I don't mean to be, to be brazen or harsh, but we have to ask, why are we holding on to things? Why, are, why is professional ministry necessary? I don't think there's anything wrong with writing books and producing certain things. I think that if you're writing books and giving sermons and traveling around to build your personal brand, then sorry, it's not for the Lord. That's for you, right? You like that's for that's for you, right? Because I I've read lots of books by famous guys, by by Christian celebrities. I mean, the fact that that even that that term even exists should tell us there's an issue. But it's fluff and stuff taken from their sermons that they don't write. At a church that I was interning at, the pastor. He knew I graduated Bible college. He had me look up stuff for his sermon that other guys were saying about the topic he was going to talk about so he could make sure he was saying what everybody else was saying. Relevant. Right. And he's not the one writing his sermons. Other people are writing them for him. So what are you actually doing? 
guys who travel around. There's no way you're writing your own sermons. And if you are at that same church, there was an itinerant preacher who came. And this is this is an issue. He's he claimed when he was giving his first sermon, set of sermons, which was all the same one, that the reason he's so, you know, he what he does is he closes his eyes and he sees the Holy Spirit writing on a whiteboard, and that's what he says. But then on a Sunday morning, he gets up there and he preaches a sermon that he says, oh, this is a new one I'm working on. Not as polished, not as well rehearsed. He closes his eyes and he stutters and stammers. Not the same eloquent as the last one. Why? Because that's when he had spoken other places. When you Google him and you see YouTube videos, oh, there it is. There's the same sermon, word for word, right? And so there's this dishonesty because nobody... Not everybody's going to Google who you are and listen to your sermons before you come to speak at their church. You can speak the same message everywhere, seem like this really powerful, polished person, but you're not giving a word in time for that church. You're offering the pro- the product that you are selling, which is one or two sermons. Oh, that's I have like three that I pull from. Right? Yeah. It's not bad to teach things. There's nothing wrong with that. I gleaned a lot from like, you know, Graham Cook, who goes around and he teaches certain things, but he's honest about that. This is my teaching. Right, and that's very important. Why did he feel he needed to be dishonest in that way? Yeah. Right? Because it's not enough to produce something, but it has to be. The reason for the facade was because it has to be perceived as the Holy Spirit through the anointing. Right? Our gift, like these communicators, they preach the same sermons or they talk without notes. You can't have a notes, notes down because then it looks like, oh, we're just reading off a script, right? So we have to have memorized these things and put in anecdotes and all this stuff to make it seem like we're these amazing communicators because that's our gifting. Well, show me where that is in the scripture and I'll agree with you, right? But there's nothing wrong with writing and reading and all these things like that. But we have to have this facade when we're trying to make our, which is what professional ministry has turned into is this pursuit of platform, what is everyone else doing? Well, they're writing books. They're speaking at conferences. They're traveling around to other churches. They're building their brand. And so we write books. Again, I don't know. I don't see into the hearts of man. God does. Right. But Jesus said, you'll know your, you know them by their fruit. Right? Paul says, look at their life. <laughs> Why do they all look the same? Why do they all sound the same? Why are they all saying the same stuff? Why are they all one week, you know, one dude tucks his shirt in and wears Gucci sunglasses, and then everybody else the next week is wearing the same stuff. It's a brand. I'm trying to build a brand, not the kingdom. And for me, that's where the difficulty comes in. In I have no problem with writing books. That's fine. You're an author. I have no problem with that stuff. But the proof is in the pudding, right? Whether it's your profession or your anointing. Because there are guys who have no business teaching, and when you listen to them, it's painful, it's painful. <laughs> but then there are guys who could say who could take almost the exact same material and make it come alive. Yeah. Because that's their anointing. And I don't think there's anything wrong with if the Lord has said, Okay, here's the teachings I want to give I want to give you. Go around and do this. Fine. You're doing what the Lord told you to do. Since we are posing questions, yeah. people need to think about. The real question becomes not just for the people that you're listening to and consuming their product or the, what the produce or their produce. What is it that God has called you to do? And why, I don't know, 
is what you're pursuing in line with that. If you're honest with why you're pursuing things, is it because it's your anointing to be so or because that's what everybody else, all the other professionals do, right? Are you more, and that's the hardest part. And that's what has hindered, in my opinion, that's what's hindered the church for, for hundreds of years, for centuries, is the pursuit of professional ministry mm. because it takes away the body and puts it onto one person predominantly. And, every, and then, like San Diego, you have this spirit of competition. Mm-hmm. Billy Graham said that the last time he came here, and that was like 20 years ago. I'll never come back here, he said. Because there's a spirit of competition. And what do you have? You have churches who are competing to build their brands. Why do you need 17 campuses? Why do you need to shoot for 17 campuses in the same county? <laughs> Why do you need that? Like, what is that? What, who is that for? Mm-hmm. Ego. That, right. It's, your, it's, it's your, for ego. It's ego, right? It's building your brand so that way you have a fat paycheck, right? And you have all these places to go around and preach out. Great. You've written books. Cool. Great. You've done all that stuff. That's great. Fine. Write your books. But why are you writing your books? I listened to your sermons. They're not that good. Why are you writing your books? <laughs> what could you possibly have to say that is, is is more anointed than those things? And so it's I get it. It's a it's a and it's like sandpaper. I'm sorry if it's you know if this is abrasive and things like that. These are the things that I ponder because what you do is just as important as why you do it. Amen. If not more so. And so, because that indicates the spirit you're of, right? You can do the right thing for the wrong reason, and that makes it the wrong thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's the only way. The on- And you can do the wrong thing for the right reason, and it's still wrong. The only way it's in line with what the Lord is doing is if it's the right thing for the right reason. <laughs> That's the only way. Yeah, and in the right season. Because mm-hmm. seasons, I mean... Your, your calling is your calling. Your expression of that calling changes season to season. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, even recognizing that. So, I, and to, I think just to wrap this up, I mean, we're going to wrap it up in a pretty bow because we could keep talking. I, because I, I'm just thinking, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh man. I mean, I think it's hard not just because of tradition to shift and walk away from something it's hard because of identity right our identity becomes in what we're do, what we're doing and what we're known for and what our brand is over who god says we are mm-hmm. um and i know uh, i was michael dalton part of his word for this year was really interesting he was talking about how in this season that we're walking into you cannot be doing things just to be doing them you have to if And he even said, he said, if you're pastoring a church, but God has asked you to step down from pastoring that church, then step down. Because if you're doing that in this season, essentially you're going to miss what God wants you to do, what has for you moving forward. Like if you're running this minute, stop. If you're doing this, if you're at this job, anything, he said, anything that you're doing, that is not what God has asked you to do. Even if it's good, stop. Like, and it's interesting to see I've seen several pastors actually, some of my best friends literally are stepping down from pastoring their church. The minute they step down from what they weren't supposed to be doing, God opened doors for this, 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 and this to happen. And so I'm just, you know, that prophetic word he was talking in all of the things he said prophetically. I was like, 
Isn't that a truer word for this season? Like that's almost an invitation for people to just be like, I'm wiping my hands mm -hmm. of this and we're going to do this different and I'm going to take this overhead and I'm now going to dump it into my city. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to waste my money on it anymore. Like right. it's, we can now actually help our city yep. tangibly in a way that's not like patting you on the back and doing a deliverance. Right. Right. <laughs> Cause what, is, what good does a deliverance do when I can't pay my grocery bill? Right. We've talked for a long time. Yeah. Um, so I hope, did we solve the world's problems? No. But did we process and and try to flush out and and talk about a topic that's, I would say, not very popular? <laughs> no, it's not very popular, and it's very uh, convoluted. Yeah, and it's controversial. Mm -hmm. It's like, and we're not judging anybody, so please don't feel like we're sitting here in judgment over right. ministries, yeah. over pastors, over people in vocational ministry. It's just things that God has sh like shifted in us personally or put in front of us or ways. I mean, what's funny, I'm saying this and I'm thinking about how many people have judged me for not doing things like um the way that the Western world does right. that. So it's okay for you to judge what we do here, but like, we just know we're not judging you. Right. <laughs> I don't know. See, it's just another rabbit trail to go down. I can't even right now, but we love people and we love you and we love the kingdom. And the whole point is, are we building God's kingdom or are we building man's kingdom? Right. And that's the, that's really at the heart of all of this. And hopefully this hour in change makes you think about that. If you've never thought about that. And the goal is to inspire change and it's to inspire and provoke you into action and not reaction, not anger, not whatever, just action like mm -hmm. even if that looks like going before the lord and asking him the questions right and allowing him to answer without offense in your heart <laughs> yeah. see how this might offend you <laughs> <laughs> but anyway we love you guys thanks for listening um and yeah like i hope you have questions i hope i hope you get the answers you're looking for i mean i feel like we've got the answers we're looking for because mm. You know, God kind of works it out and, and we're okay if everybody doesn't agree with our train of thought. That's, we love you right. and you're so welcome at my home anytime. <laughs> so have a great day and we'll catch you on the next episode.